All right. Well, welcome to Redeemer Church's podcast, Fighting Words. And I'm sitting here with Pastor Glenn. Good Is that how you like morning. to be referred to? No, just Glenn works. I've actually had people come to me and call me Pastor Donovan, and I refer to them as Member Ben. <laughs> Congregant. Congregant. <laughs> um, reprobate. Jim. Yes. Well, that I actually do use that term. With your wife. Um, now, seriously, someone asked me why I had a problem with that, and it relates to, what would you say? Is that Why can I call you? Do you want people to call you Pastor Glenn? Well, I would probably say the problem is their expectations. They're setting expectations. To be pastored? To be... And you ain't having that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when your kids come to you and say, hey, dad, and you're like, "Uh, That would include... I don't like the expectations that come with this Shepherding (laughs) and love. No, 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 no. We're not having anything to do with that. No, it would be be them wanting me to be their priest, right? It's, It's more of a, like, I expect you to be perfect and priestly and did I mention perfect? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think those expectations last long once people meet you. That's <laughs> I just try and they only call you pastor once. <laughs> you actually don't have to ask them to stop. And it's something that rhymes with pastor, but different. <laughs> Do we have to take that out? No, I think that'll be all right. If people can imagine it, they're already corrupt. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, well, here's my reason. It's biblical. Oh, you've got verses. I just um, have feelings. I, I was going to look up the verse, but I'm just going to... Whims. Yeah, I'm just going to wing this. When Jesus says, do not call any man father or rabbi mm-hmm. or teacher. Right. Right. So I don't think that means we can't have those roles like teacher. We obviously have teachers in the church. It's one of the... Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Right. But I think it's more of a title. So I don't mind it as a role. I am a pastor. That's my role, but it's not my title. Right. When you make it a title, there's this weird, is a, so, a social mm-hmm. kind of a intuition that kicks in where you go, oh, there's this, there's this hierarchy of being yeah. that comes, right? When you call someone rabbi, you call them teacher, you call them priest. So right. that's why I resist it. One, it just feels weird because I'm not like, I'm just Donovan. <laughs> Now, the only time I I do use it, if I send out like a like an email, an official email or something to the whole church that Absolutely. says like, hey, here, and the reason is because I think it helps identify who the role, you right. know what I mean? So it's very, very infrequently. So, yeah, you wouldn't make it in the Southern culture like they would say pastor and first lady. So, oh, would no, be first lady, Aubrey, Santa Maria. Well, what about reverend? Yeah. That's uh, that's a denotation of you're, you've actually done the work and, and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> you've actually <laughs> actually I, I'd probably go by irreverend. <laughs> I'd be more down with that. We would all agree. What about parson? I don't know even know what that means. Really? Because you that okay, You that know what a parsonage is? Works well. I know that. Well, that's it. Belongs to the parson. It's like that's that's a. I think like a Southern Appalachian even term for oh. the pastor, the parson. Oh, I'd get it confused with person, which I am. Well, maybe that's what it was. It was like the only one who's acting out base humanity. Yes. that's. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes a parson. So, hi, Pastor Donovan. And Put you're the like, drugs away. good to see you, person, Glenn. Person. <laughs> Human. So anyway, that's neither here nor there, Pastor Glenn. Good to have you. Um, so this is our first episode. Hopefully you find it fruitful. 
uh, we hope to mix up topics and also mix up um, who sits on the podcast with me. Um, these episodes, you can subscribe. If you subscribe to our sermon podcast, this will just be mixed in there. So if you subscribe to our sermon podcast every week, you'd get the latest sermon, which if you missed it, you could watch it and you will also get the latest episode of Fighting Words. I hope I don't have to explain too much why we landed on that uh, name for the podcast. Well, mission is to this fight is for joy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So there it is. It's kind of cheesy, but there it is. So over the long haul, I have a lot of ideas for things to talk about and things to dig in. And we just want this to be supplemental to building culture in our church, to teaching theology. There's just so much that we could talk about. I want to get into a lot of stuff about gender, gender roles, current gender issues, sexuality, all that stuff. And there's a pressing need, though, it seems to me, um, having launched this Acts of War series to flesh some of that out. Um, we have, and by we, I mean the, the majority of the staff, at least, pastors, have been reading The Unseen Realm and listening to Heiser. And so it's been great. We've been sitting in it for a while. And come, you know, the Acts of War series, come out of the gates pretty hard with some stuff. That's generally how I roll, whether or not that's helpful. That's up to you to determine. But the challenge there is that I've got a lot more um, content and reference under what I'm saying that people sitting out there in the pews may not have. So when things are clear to me or um, I have connective tissue for it, some people don't, and therefore that can be maybe not helpful or confusing at best. So we said, well, let's open this up. We're doing a, we're sharing resources through the mass text. Please listen to this stuff. We're sharing books. We know not everyone's going to take advantage of everything, uh, but take advantage of what you can. Watch some videos, watch some lectures, read some books, but also we're doing Q and A's uh, with some of our leaders and providing podcasts like this. So we'll probably sit here for, I don't know, a couple weeks, a few weeks until we feel it has been exhausted. Let me ask you this, um, Glenn, as you've been reading The Unseen Realm and just digging into these issues, I want to ask the question, what has been really different? Because in one sense, I feel like nothing. So yeah, there's spirits. Yeah, there's um, angels and demons and all this stuff. Like, right, right. I know we don't talk about that a lot, but it's, but it's, it's kind of assumed there's a spirit world and we, we reference that at times when we talk about principalities and powers. And so in one sense, I kind of want to go, what's the big deal? Right. But I also admit that as I read it, I was kind of like, wow, it was eye opening and, Absolutely. um, so it wasn't just like, yeah, old hat. It was like, this is really fascinating, interesting. Yeah. So given the fact that you already affirm that there are spiritual beings in the unseen realm, what has been particularly fresh or new or yeah. really had to force a shift in your thinking? Yeah, it's a good question. I think Thank the, you. The, Thank uh, you. I just want to affirm you in your affirmation. Um, the first time that I watched one of those videos on Bible Project, it had to do with the Divine Council. And I have always heard the terms angel, demon, elect angels who are doing God's bidding, fallen angels, which we would refer to as demons and just the implications of both of those and the serpent in the garden being a a demon, um, Satan, that uh, those terms are not unfamiliar to me. The term divine counsel 
like they lead with that in their their um, particular video that they have on that the divine council and it's basically understood from the beginning that there was this divine council that watched god create and i was like what who are these people who so are some of it was things? maybe the the new terminology just You've those heard. two words together yeah. divine council so I, let me ask you this haven't you read your bible <laughs> i have read through have the you read the bible. bible cover to cover i have okay I had to so you seminary and okay. for moody and for, for your joy for my <laughs> and for oh, this yeah. job there was <laughs> for this podcast episode. Yes. That was I've prep. Been up, I've been you said, late. how should I prep for this? I said, why don't you actually read, read the Bible, your Bible and pray and pray. And so I've been up all night Good. doing both of those. So you read Psalm 82 before. Mm-hmm. Now there's I a couple issues there. There's issues up. about how we uh, get into the term gods and all that. We, we'll, we'll revisit that. But one of them is just that he says, God sits in the divine council. That's right. Or divine assembly. There's some different... Right, right, right. Yeah, so obviously you've read seen, that. I had never seen the words divine council because the ESV is the one that translates it that way. The other versions, I grew up with the New American Standard, and I think it said a divine assembly or angelic host or something like that. Okay. So so yeah, the, the fact that there's this divine council that is somehow in the hierarchy between us even between angels and God, the Trinitarian yep. God, was fairly new to me. And the implications of that are interesting in the sense of, I think the two places where it's really affected me is the image of God. So not only are human beings uh, created in the image of God, which I've always affirmed sure. and always been taught, but with that in Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image. Right. Um, again, my teaching has always been that's Trinity. That's Father, Son, and Holy sure. Spirit. Let us make man in our image. But then to have a divine council who are below God, created beings, yes. but above angels and above us, certainly, that they are watching God create, that, that was new to me. Because the, the particularly new thing for me, or probably even something that was hard for me to get over, is they are created in God's image as well. Right. And you, you may ask, Glenn, how can you say that? Well, we are created in their image, which is also the image of God. So just looking at it logically, it adds up. They were created in God's image. We are created in God's image. Yeah. Yep. So let's just linger there for a minute. Affirm that. Yeah, uh, even though I'd seen, even taught passages like Job 1 several times, there came a day when the sons of God presented them presented themselves, themselves yeah. before God, something like that. Um, it's like, well, I've taught on that, but I never stopped to go, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why are they presenting themselves? There's obviously some deliberation going on. Who are the sons of God? I knew, right. kind of knew there were angels. And so it, it took concepts that I had uh, brushed up against and just made me slow down. Yeah. So normally when I teach Job 1, I breeze over that because I want to get to God's control over yes. Satan and yeah, how yeah, yeah. Satan is, doing or the bidding. adversary, whoever that is in that role, is asking God permission. And that's great. But yeah. it just shows how my my background and my theological emphasis, of course, every time I get to a text, I do that. I can't right. you know, highlight every single word. So I'll go, okay, what theme am I going to emphasize here? And, right. And I've historically emphasized Calvinism in that. Right. And what what this concept has done is said, yeah, yeah, that's that's good. Although Heiser denies Calvinism, and that's a whole other issue we can get into, and we will. Yeah. Um, 
But it says, hey, slow down and look at this. Who are the sons of God and why are they presenting themselves? Right. And so it, it certainly has made me slow down there. And yeah, I was not aware of the, all the hierarchies and the divine council and how that stuff relates. And the idea of there being the, them being made in the image of God, yes, I, we have taught... I think if you asked me and cornered me explicitly and said, are angels made in the image of God? I'd probably, I'd say yes. Even before I would have said yes, but I just never taught that. Right. So we've go gospel grid and we're unique in the creation. Right, right. Because we're looking at the earthly creation and right. you say, we're not like the plants, we're not like the dogs, we're not like. Right. Um, and the reason I would say that my teaching is said and God created man and, and woman and he said it was very good. Let us make man in our image. So there's that modifier, very. It's the only place in creation that we see it Yes, being said very good. So does that mean that God created the divine council? It was good. I've always been taught, yeah, 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 that's fine. But then he created us, and it was very good. And somehow that image of God being solely to humanity was somehow the thing that made that that brought us salvation like he's like yeah they're made in my image so jesus is for them and and all of that and so it was almost a a backwards teaching of the intrinsic value of humanity being the only ones that were in the image of god and now it's unseen up until now there's this realm that was also created in the image of god they are imagers imagers of God as well. And right, so, and it, it comes down to what does it mean to image God, and <clears throat> there's yeah. a lot there, but I think the the key term is to exercise dominion, which is why he says in Genesis one twenty six, let us make yeah. man and woman in our image and let them exercise dominion, yeah. right? So God rules, right. we rule, right. members of the divine council rule. So right. we share in the image of God with along with the Elohim, um, and with that comes all kinds of stuff. Like, what does it right. take to be able to rule? Discernment, right. a moral base, right. wisdom. Oh, okay, so now we're filling this out. But yeah. that, one, that one concept of ruling yeah. actually forces a lot of other issues that we would say, yeah, my cat yeah. doesn't exercise discernment the way I do. My cat doesn't right. have a moral fiber the way I do. Right. They're all encapsulated in the, in the idea of exercising dominion. To yeah. take your character and bring it to bear upon the world yeah. and therefore affect... Um, culture change life right Right. and even being made in the image of god having part of it be just the essence of us having a spiritual part to us like human beings are spiritual we have a body but we are also spiritual beings like we have the ability through jesus to live forever and it's not our body that's going to live forever but our spirit will live forever and it would be the same with a divine council member. He's spirit, but without the body, right? Or it. They're they're neuter in the in the Bible. There's no gender. There's no male or female. But they have spirit. They are spirit. And so, um, and God is also spirit. So I'm wondering how closely the the relationship is between spirit and being made in God's image. Um, so then you would say animals are not made in God's image because they don't have spirit the way that we would have spirit or divine counsel or angels or what whatnot. So there is that part of it. Um, I think I also wonder about like, do you want to talk about the two falls right now? Maybe we can edit this out, but um, so not not yet. What? Let me answer the question. What was surprising or fresh to me? I mean, part of that is that, but also the the big thing that to me was. 
well, frankly, some of the stuff we're not even teaching on, like the Nephilim stuff and how pervasive right. that is. I've, I've ref, heard the Nephilim brought up and, you know, Genesis 6. But right. then to see how it's also just a continuing theme throughout the conquest of Canaan and all that, that was that was fascinating. Yeah. So we won't really be teaching on that. You have to listen to um, or read the book or watch some of the other lectures if you want to get into that. And then the other thing was the Deuteronomy 32 worldview about how the nations were handed over right. to the sons of God demons. And it's like, that was, I knew, I knew that um, humanity was fallen and under the prince of the power of the, of the air. I mean, that comes clear in the New Testament. Absolutely. But that there were regional uh, authorities and that, and that the gods, so-called gods, that, we, that the people were worshiping were not just figments of their imagination, but right. actual demonic figures. Right. Um, that, that was fresh to me. Even though I've read the book of Acts, right. I've, and it says... God gave them over to worship the heavenly host. You're, and then he calls one of the, he names a couple of them, Moloch, and I forget the other one, and he names, he calls him a god, and it's like, oh, I've read the book of Acts. Why didn't this? What chapter is that in Acts? Do you remember? Well, I mentioned it yesterday. It's in chapter 7, Okay. right? So when Stephen gives his defense, he gives the survey of Israel's history. Yep. Actually, let me just pull this out yep. now. Um, so... Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives a, a, a survey of Israel's history, and then at the end, obviously, he condemns them for rejecting Jesus, but he says, you're just like the Israelites who rejected Moses. And here in Acts 7.42, says this, God turned away and gave them, the Israelites, over to worship the host of heaven. Mm. The host of heaven is right. an angelic realm. Right. So he's worship, they're worshiping them, not just invented idols. Right, right, right. But As that, it is written in the book of the prophets, and then he says, you took up, this is God speaking to Israel, you took up the tent of Moloch, so he's naming one of them, and the star, so again, back to this idea that the sons of God, principalities and powers are sometimes called the stars or the morning stars, the star of your God, Rephan. Right. So it was kind of shocking to come out of the gates with Psalm 82 and say, hey, there's other gods, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, like, well, didn't you read Acts 7? Right. So again, this is a huge issue, right? That we, we are saying that there are, that Bible uses the word God more generally than we have traditionally been taught to That's in right. evangelical Christianity. That's right. It kind of means like spirits, mm -hmm. Elohims, right? Yeah. And then there's one, capital E. Right. Well, actually, um, yeah, so there's these spirit beings that are referred to as gods. Right. But it doesn't mean we're polytheists. That's we don't right. believe there's one true creator god who formed everything who created the universe who created the spiritual beings i'll find a I'm, i have a text here that i'll look up that just strictly we can see where we get that how it is that we're not polytheists right even though this uses this term right yeah. so um it's kind of what you say we are you a father happy father's day thanks also yeah. to you yeah but then there's the father that's right Right, so we say, "Oh, there's more than one father." Like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, "What do you mean?" Well, you're a father. I'm a father. We're small, lowercase cap, you know, lowercase f fathers who image God as the Father. That's right. That's how the Bible is using the term gods because of our unfamiliarity with that. We start to worry that, you know, it sounds like polytheism or things like that. So, right. that's an important issue. And another aspect of that um, Acts seven passage that you just brought up is. God gave them over to worship the hosts of heaven. When you think of it, of worshiping the hosts of heaven, you you might be thinking, oh, maybe that's Trinitarian language or something like that. 
but it wouldn't be because God gave them over. It's the same language that you would see in Romans 1, where God gives them over to the, the lusts of their flesh and the impurities. It's, it's God giving them over to uh, the principalities of this world and, and all of that so that his grace might be shown, right? Like right. It's a, it, God disinherits the nations. He disinherits yes. human beings that are um, disobedient to him and, and all of that, which they can't help it because they have their state of being is fallen. Their state of being is under Adam, and so they cannot help but to sin. And so God has given them over to that uh, to show his glory and his grace and his power to move toward them in redemption. Absolutely. There are a handful of texts that we could go to, and I'm just going to hit one up for the sake of time because I want to get to the questions that were posed by some of our Redeemer members. But here's a text that clearly shows a supremacy in relationship between God and the other gods, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Colossians 1, 16. Well, let's start at 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So there's the invisible God is Yahweh, the Trinitarian Father, Son, uh, well, particularly in this case, the Father, um, Yahweh. He, Jesus, is that image. So he's God made visible. Verse 16, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created. Okay, so through Jesus, by the word, through him and in him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, unseen. And then it specifically names thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. So other and thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, as we've seen, are sons of God, principalities, right. powers. Referred to as gods in some cases. Those, those gods lowercase g, were made through, by, and for Jesus Christ. So there's a clear separation here. He's yes. not just one of them who's that's like right. can run faster. Like that's right. He made them. That's right. They serve him. So there's other that's passages right. we can go to, but that's that's one there. Yeah. How it is that we can have a concept of there being beings all referred to as gods and yet one being unique and supreme. It's because yeah. of his preexistence, power, unique uh, characteristics. Do you want to talk a little bit more about these I've heard you mention it. I've read the book. He mentions it. Um, regional council members who are corrupt, who are overseeing nations and languages and cultures throughout the, the world. Do you do you want to speak to that a little bit more? That's another thing that kind of has been one of those things that's eye-opening for me, like that there is some sort of a hierarchy of of nations and religions and languages that are that don't subscribe, that don't worship Yahweh, that don't worship that God that you were just describing, the Creator God. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I certainly think want to at some point. I want let's um let's let's see if we get to that today. I want to honor these. We we posted on Facebook for these folks to ask questions. And oh, we you do, want to love and shepherd people? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's All honor right. them. Let's do so that. some of this is re- is related to what we've been talking about. We may be able to get through it quickly. But one gentleman asked. Okay, so Genesis one twenty six. Let us make man in our own image. Yes. I said and believe that I used to teach that that verse refers to the Trinity. So that's the us. Well, who is the us? Um, Heiser argues. I agree that he's referring to. He's actually talking. God there is talking to the divine council. Yeah. Um, so take your. I mean, I, to me, that's a minor point. That I don't. 
I agree, affirm that the Trinity exists. I affirm that the Trinity is unique and supreme over all other Elohim. Um, whether or not he's talking to the Trinity or the divine council there, to right. me, is, as one member put it, academic. Like, well, sure, I don't know. Right. Agree to disagree. But this question is, okay, so if it doesn't, if the us in let us make a man in our own image doesn't refer to the Trinity, then doesn't Imago Dei break down? So what is Imago Dei? Image of God, right. Latin. Right. So it's basically saying then this whole, it's what you were talking about. Right. Uh, that, wait a minute, I thought we had the Imago Dei. And so um, so he, he said as a follow-up, if us refers to this council, isn't that ascribing positive creating force to someone other than God? So it's a good question. So I think, um, let me take the first half of that, which is, God, because the divine counsel is made in the image of God, when God says, let us make man in our image, he's saying the image that I've given you, which is my image. So in other words, no, it doesn't break down. It doesn't, uh, uh, I think, affect the image of God at all, the Imago Dei. They bear God's image because he gave it to them. That's right. So when he says, let us make man in our image, it's, well, who was the primary image that everything it's that everything is modeled after? It's it's God, right. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right. And so he's just including them in that. It's kind of like you saying, "Hey, let's have a if you you have one kid already, and you say let's let's make more of us." Right. You know, I don't know, that kind of stupid or whatever off the cuff. I don't know how helpful it is, but at the end of the day, no. Right. <laughs> And the Bible fully supports that. You, you've brought up um, that passage before, but again and again and again, he is above all other hosts. He is the Lord of hosts. He is a, the creator God. He's the only one that has ascribed creative power throughout anything. You look at Hebrews 1, you look at Colossians 1, you look at John 1. I mean, there are so many places that affirm that God is the one who created, and that is reserved for him. It's not reserved for um, a bunch of divine council members. And the the book, Heiser, talks about them being watchers. They're in his image, but they're not creating, they're watching. They're watching this plan unfold of God creating mountains and rivers and streams, and and ultimately, they're watching God infuse into a pile of dirt life. And, sure. and making Adam. So they're watching, but they're, they are image bearers. So what about this follow-up question? If us refers to this council, isn't that ascribing positive creating force to someone other than God? Let us make man in our image. So the, the threat there is that it sounds like, oh, so the divine council created? Is part of the, the creative process. I would say, yeah, that's the only, I can't think of any other verse that would talk about ascribing creative power to the divine council. I can't think of anything. I think it depends on, so, I mean, I think you could read it that way if you wanted to. Right. But I don't think, I think we already have categories for this in our Christian thought life. So, well, another parallel is when God says, let us go down there and confuse their language. So, is yes. it, if he's talking to the Trinity, no problem. If he's talking to the divine council, oh, so who confuses the language? Like, so we... By we, I mean, um, well, Christianity in general, but also Reformed-ish, Calvinistic Christians believe that God uses human or angelic means without that meaning that they have 
the absolute creative monergistic power, right? So right. we go and preach the gospel, right? So Paul says in Romans 10, how are they to call upon the Lord, call upon him who they've never heard? How are they to hear unless it is preached? How are they to preach unless That's they are right. sent? So he's going to say, whoa, um, no one's going to get saved unless you preach. Yeah. Isn't that giving us salvific power? Right, right, right. The answer is no. no. Why? Because God is, there. there is one name under heaven and earth by which man must be saved, and it's not ours. It's Jesus. Um, that, yeah, we, we could just keep going on and on and on. Um, no one comes to the Son unless the Father who sent him draws them, right? I mean, it's just Ooh. creative power is, redemptive power is in Jesus. Yeah. And so... What about the apostles healing? Does that mean they're the healer? By grace, through faith, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they can heal. But it'll literally say, he healed them. Because Jesus would say, yeah, I gave, I have given you authority to go out and to have authority over demons and also heal the sick. Right. Right. So there is, are, are we there and are we um, experiencing the power of God yes. maybe moving through us? Absolutely. But do we have that power on ourselves? No. No. So I, the point is, I don't think this concept is anything new that threatens our view of God's uniqueness and power. There's. He uses means. We're there sometimes observing, sometimes participating. He ultimately always reserves all yeah. the glory. Even Paul, right, in his ministry, who labored far more than all of them, right. at the end of the day says, yet it was not I. I think the divine counsel would say that at all, would right. say that as well, which is why they rejoice. That's right. When God right. says in in a, in Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth and the sons of God rejoice? Like, why? Because at the end of the day, they're not really... right creative they have right. creative power right so god is doing this god is doing all the acting right all not sorry not all the acting all the empowering all the true work which yeah. is the true work well i mean genesis 127 changes the language so god created man in his own image so god created man that's straight right at the next verse after um the verse in question and then he said, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Switches the language, moves back to the power center, which is God, the creator God. And he, the writer of Genesis, Moses, is celebrating that. He's worshiping God. He's saying, yeah, God created him. So again, it affirms this kind of, even our work in... Um, at, preaching the gospel to people and all of that we're almost watchers of god moving through his holy spirit onto people yeah so that they have revelation yes i am sinful i am in need of a savior i'm gonna i'm gonna go after jesus because there's already been that wooing and that that um, drawing from god who is the redeemer to them and we're we're watching yeah like, this is what we do that's right and um yes we preach the gospel sure but do my words have salvific power? Well, no, I've listened to your sermons. <laughs> You're the only one who feels that. <laughs> well, so check out this. So here's another question. What was the order of creation in respect to spiritual That's a, yeah, and yeah, material yeah. creation? Right Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Does heavens mean things of the sky that are visible or also invisible? Does darkness and light mean presence and absence of electromagnetic energy? Oh, wow. 
I don't know if I can speak into that. Um, this could have been an engineer who wrote this. Uh, a social engineer. <laughs> social engineer. What, so what was the order? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Does heavens and does heaven? This gets complicated because it depends on how you read Genesis one. Yeah. Um, my simple. Now I haven't researched this a lot, but just based on my current um, experience and Bible knowledge, the sons of God were created before the earth was, which is why in Job 1, they were able to witness it, or not in Job 1, but in the book of Job, they were able to witness it and rejoice. Right. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth and the sons of God rejoice? So they're there watching. They already exist. Right. He created the spiritual Elohim, the Elohim first. Right. And then made physical things. Right. Now, that's my gut. There's also interpretations of Genesis 1 that say that when God creates the star and the moons, he's actually, that's actually referring to angelic the divine being. council. Yeah, yeah. Angelic beings to govern, right? right? And that that's a, sim- a symbol for, um, right, for, this, for these Elohim. And therefore, therefore, he created, you know, maybe simultaneously physical things like stars and moons and right. Elohim and then form the earth, you know, like it gets really complicated. Um, right. It can be. So maybe we can share some articles about that stuff. But yeah. my, my, my simple reading response is he created them first and then they watched him make the rest. Yeah, that would be my interpretation as well. In the sense of like, yeah, we have always kind of understood that, you know, talking about in Job 1, I've always seen Job 1 as as Satan himself moving toward God and saying, okay, I want to mess with this guy named Job. And God's like, okay, you can do go up to a certain degree and, and all of that. I had always learned that that was pre-Adam um, and Eve, right? That here is this being who has been created and somehow fallen from grace. And now he wants to, by God's bidding, go and get the rest of creation to follow him and, and all of that. And that's, this is what I've believed my entire life until I started reading through this. And there's two falls that are happening in Genesis 3. And the timing of it becomes really clear to me because God would, he curses the serpent in Genesis 3 after the whole thing talking with with Eve and they're in the garden and Eve eats of the fruit disobeys God we think oh see this is Satan who has been like in his mind trying to figure out how am I going to get the human race to fall because I'm jealous of them and and all of that and yet I think what we see here is a concurrent falling of the Elohim parts of the Elohim, the corrupt beings of the Elohim, and um, human beings, humanity, falling at the same time. You might ask, like, how, how can I see that? Because I don't think God would have allowed a cursed being to go around uh, and, and do the thing. Like, um, for instance, it says that he cursed the serpent right there, and then he judged Adam and Eve. So what you see is a is a simultaneously a simultaneous cursing and judging from God to 
the divine realm of the serpent, the diviner, and then the human realm as well. Right. There's an immediate response. Immediate response. Like, so in my old thinking, I would have thought, yeah, so here's this, this Satan coming to God who is fallen, who is trying to while out and convince um, humanity to not worship him. And it's like he's he's walking around without a curse on him because basically God immediately responded to yeah. this stuff that was going on in the garden by cursing and judging and and all of that. So, yeah, well, and there's a yeah, right. So I also previously kind of viewed it as like, well, this bad guy snuck into the garden. But in, when Isaiah, when God refers to this this uh, seraphim that yeah that um rebelled and said to himself i will ascend to the most high he starts off by saying you were in the garden of eden and adorned yeah in beauty basically and he's That's like right. he belonged there yeah it was part of the divine council they not, were part of the divine council not fallen no not sinful and then something happened right so it wasn't a bad guy snuck in it was there's a good there was a guy who was there who's supposed to be there right and then something happened in his mind and heart yeah and he enticed humanity along with him so i would affirm that and i think there's textual basis for them again some of this stuff is like Oh, you know what? Like, let's just agree to degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just not um, how important are these things, right? Like, whether right. or not, you know, I know people that teach a uh, gap theory where, right. you know, basically Satan and the demons fell and they were cast to the earth and then some amount of time went by and then right. God made the garden and, he, and right. the whole point was to have Adam and Eve subdue the evil forces that already existed and that, you know, there's yeah. people at, at Piper's church that teach that. It's like, all right, like right. it's okay. I right, think, right. I think, you know, I don't think there's a lot at stake here. So some of this is interesting academic, right? Uh, some of it is help helpful as we see a little more about God's plan and what he's up to. Yeah. So Glenn, does darkness and light mean the presence and absence of electromagnetic energy? Well, I've, I have theories and postulates on that that I've documented in a paper. It's kind of a thesis of mine. <laughs> All right. Well, we will look forward to that release. I'm coming soon. And by soon, I mean... Like Jesus is coming soon? Like Jesus is coming okay, soon. Okay, it's imminent. We're in the last days. All right. So stay girded. Um, the last days. <laughs> it's the last sign of the coming of Christ this EMF. release of the paper does darkness and light mean presence and absence of electromagnetic energy or something more i don't know a lot about i mean it's kind of a unique angle on a question but let me say ultimately it doesn't mean that it means um what these are metaphors right so he's probably not going that deep i'm going meta on him like darkness and light it means goodness and evil right right, right? and so these become metaphors but when god creates darkness and light does did, did he make a Sun, or you just mean he created electromagnetic energy? Like, dude, I don't know, man. So we have failed you. <laughs> we apologize. So good luck with two pastors who don't even understand the question. No, and I don't know how you're <laughs> going to raise your children without that answer. So, yeah, give them up. Here's a question. <laughs> okay, this might be it for today. I want to try to keep these around 45 minutes or so. Um, between the enemies of the flesh, the world, and the spiritual forces, can we know which we are fighting against in a given battle? Mm. If we know, how do we know, and how does it impact our fight? 
between the enemies of the flesh, the world, and the spiritual forces? It's almost it's almost asking a question of regional principalities and dominion and that type of thing. Like, you know, if there is a corrupt divine council member that is overseeing um, a certain country or certain Cedar place or Cedar Rapids, right? And Hiawatha, Hi- specifically Hiawatha. That's a he got demoted. <laughs> well, he who he who can't be trusted with little will not be trusted with much. That's, That's right. So once he, well, whatever. Go ahead. So it's even one block within Hiawatha. Yeah, specifically, just your house <laughs> for all you Hiawatha dwellers. But if that's kind of the question, so if that is the corrupt divine council member that's over my block in Robbins, like what is then the worldview that he is putting forth and what fallen angels is he using to to support that and to mess with people even that know Jesus and people that don't know Jesus? I mean, I get like what he's saying. I would say that the Apostle Paul answers those questions in Ephesians 6. Like, How so? There's lies that are going to be brought up, and Paul's like, great, get to get the belt of truth on. There's fiery darts that are coming from the enemy that include all, all these things in Ephesians 6. So, yes, he, there is a worldview. Assume that there is a worldview that does not want to worship Yahweh that is over where you live and over your own mind and over your own family and over your own block and state and all of that. Yes, this is what we're saying, that God is surrounded by divine council members who are corrupt and he has given them over and that they don't want to worship him and they don't want you to worship him or your neighbors. So assume that that's true. Ask him, I would say, pray and ask specifically, like, what do you see in your area? Is it that um, a lot of people lie is it that a, a lot of people are really uh, succumb to the American dream of uh, of comfort and peace and a lot of money and an early retirement and that type of thing then you know those are the things that you would end up praying against so let me so I think what you're saying is good but I but I think you might be missing the the rub of the question a bit sounds like you're answering so let me flesh this out well so he's saying there's three categories of opposition enemies of the flesh so that might be so take let me use the example of Stephen in Acts 6 yeah the enemies of the flesh are literally those priests that are going to stone him yeah okay that's correct then the world the world to me is collective flesh like systems of power that end up um, leading people into oppression and lack of flourishing. So in that context, I would say it's the temple system. Really, it's been corrupted in, in by, there, by Stephen. Not as designed by God, but as corrupted by Pharisees and scribes who have gotten in bed with Rome and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And then the spiritual forces. These are the animating um, demonic principality forces behind these things. Right. Right, that give them, that that influence them. So he's saying... Between those three categories, can we know which of those categories we are fighting against in, in a given battle? And I think, one, I would say all of them are present. But Paul says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Yeah. 
but against principalities and power. So he he seems to give not seems he explicitly gives a primary uh, weight to the principality and power level. Right. right. If you want to change world systems, if you want to change human hearts, your neighbors who are hostile, your city who's, um, you know, writing um, laws against Christianity, whatever it may be. At the end of the day, you have to fight the battle at the highest level, which is principalities and powers and authorities. And how? Truth, righteousness, peace, preaching the gospel. So that's right. So we certainly right, right. So we we make violent war against the spiritual realm with by loving humans, like which is why we never identify someone who's going to kill us or slander us as the enemy and say let's take them out. Now we may feel that way, but that's not the yeah. biblical ideal. The biblical ideal is to understand that they are captive to a great extent by the devil. For to ask to pray God for their forgiveness, preach the good news, and that is the warfare right. that brings down the principalities and powers, converts hearts, and changes world systems. That's right. So they're all active, yeah. I guess. Can you share what you were sharing with me earlier about some people praying on that level, praying against principalities and powers and dominions and how they saw fruit uh, from those prayers? Uh, yeah, briefly, and then we'll wrap this up. This is a, I shared an article about this, so you may have read about it already. But the question is, you know, okay, big deal. Does this matter? Like we're just having theories about the unseen realm and right. Well, so Piper posted an article, um, where he references basically this growing trend in world event evangelization um, to aim about to pray and brainstorm about wrestling with principalities and powers right so basically affirming that there's a hierarchy of demonic beings and some of whom are charged with darkening and oppressing a specific territory or people Piper says if so it may be that some kind of concerted prayer of resistance focused on these territorial spirits might open a territory to the gospel in unprecedented ways and then he tells a story about in 1984 a group of leaders in the area of Argentina um, got together to do some some praying and uh, evangelization right well uh, let me let me fast forward here Basically, there was a, a huge, okay, years before in this area of Argentina, a warlock by the name of Mr. Maragildo operated out of that town. He was so famous that his and his cure so dramatic that people would trek to Arroyo Seco from overseas for his services. Before he died, he evidently passed his powers on to 12 disciples. Wow. So there's a history of this demonic right. activity. Three times a church was established in Arroyo Seco, and three times it closed down in the face of severe spiritual opposition. Yeah. Okay. So that was kind of the history of the area. After several days of Bible study and prayer, the pastors and leaders came together in one accord and placed the entire area under spiritual authority. A few of them traveled to Arroyo Seco, positioning themselves across the street from the headquarters of Mr. Marigildo's followers, and they served an eviction notice on the forces of evil. They announced to them that they were defeated and that Jesus Christ would attract many to himself now that the church was united and had pledged to proclaim him. Less than three years later, 82 of those towns had an evangelical churches in them. Wow. Blah, blah, blah. So there's other stories like that. And um, 
So that could be a practical implication. Um, I don't have experience in ministering that way. I'm open to it. So, um, okay, we're we're up against 50 minutes here. I want to keep this, uh, like I said, under 50 minutes. So, um, and we'll do more next week. There's certainly a lot more about this. Please send us your questions. You can just reach out to me on Facebook, email me, text me. Um, Maybe next time we'll find out what's on your Spotify playlist. These are the important things. Uh, some of those I can share. <laughs> well, well, my latest additions. Well, okay. What did I download yesterday? Ah, uh, see, the, these are the important questions. Uh, NF. He's a Christian type rapper. He's pretty good. So, so many of you have heard of him. NF, literally the letter N, the letter F. Oh, so I haven't heard of him. Yeah, I like to. The beats, I like the his content. It's pretty good, pretty safe for my kids. It's great. Uh, some of my stuff on here is not. So like, I download a hip hop classics playlist because I like hip hop, you know. But start playing through it, and all of a sudden you're like in the club. Oh, yeah. So got to monitor that a little closely. So there it is, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully this has been helpful. Uh, let us know if you have more questions, uh, topics that you'd like us to discuss, uh, specific questions about the unseen realm or the acts of war series. Um, at the end of the day, we just want to be in conversation with you. We hope that you view us as uh, a cert, as a approachable, approachable, and a resource for you. Um, there's a lot to discuss and a lot of questions to ask. We want to. We can send you articles. We can sit down and have coffee and hash these things out. Mostly, we want to help you grow in your fight for joy. So, thank you, Pastor Glenn. Yeah, it's been great it's uh, been a talking pleasure. with you guys uh, as well. Outside of this podcast, you guys have had great questions and good interactions. So, thanks for listening. That's it. See you next week. Show.